pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. You are worthy of our worship. We lay our lives before you this afternoon, O God. Be glorified in our lives, Father. Blessed be your holy name. And let your sweet presence fill this place, O God. Sweet Holy Spirit, we look to you once again that you would come and have your way in our lives. Have your way in this church and have your way in this nation, O God. Glory be to your name. In Jesus' name we have worship. Amen. Can we appreciate God with a clap offering? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And please appreciate the worship team. And you may be seated. God bless you. God bless you guys. Hallelujah. You know, I... I um, a few weeks ago, I was driving and... Um, I was listening to Premier Radio, which is usually the default uh, station on my car. And I, I wasn't, I was half concentrated. And then I heard somebody ask a question. And he says, why is there so much anger, so much hatred, so much confusion around us? Why is there so much turmoil? And he caught my attention, because I'm sure you all agree that that's what typifies uh, the, 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 the environment, the nation, the society. Just a lot of aggro, a lot of turmoil. And, you know, Pastor Agu was talking about the pressures of life last week. And then he comes up a few minutes afterwards and says, well, the reason is obvious. He says, when a people reject God, then the consequence is that there will be turmoil. Because God represents love and peace. And if God is not there, then you will have the opposite of love and peace. And I thought, you know, it's fantastic, ladies and gentlemen, but we can easily think that it's what's happening out there. But it's also happening in the church, in the body of Christ. You know, the same things we, talk, we talked about last week, all the pressures of life, you know, the, the, the discontentment, the strife, the quarreling, the unhappiness. There's a lot going on, ladies and gentlemen. A gentleman called me last week desperately, and he said to me, he said, Pastor, Pastor, I, 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 don't, I don't think I can cope. You know, he was having a tiff with his, with his wife. And he says, Pastor, I don't think I can cope anymore. I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I'm not sure I can carry on. And I'm thinking, he just got married last year. One year, what do you know? And, you know, but he, he, he was agitated. A lot that is going on, ladies and gentlemen. And then God started to speak to me. Because he said, we've got to be careful that with all that is going on, we don't just look with our natural eyes. We see, we look with spiritual eyes. And then... Leads me to the scripture, our main text for today, Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read both the New Living and the Passion Translation. 
Luke 22, verse 31. They say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Verse 33. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. In the Passion Translation, it reads like this. Jesus says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I've prayed for you, Peter, that you will stay faithful to me no matter what happens, no matter what comes. Remember this. After you've turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. But Lord, Peter replied, I'm ready to stand with you to the very end, even if it means prison or death. Jesus looked at him and prophesied, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus is saying, you know, and it's interesting, the, the, if you read the context from the beginning of Luke 22, they had just finished the, the, what we call the Last Supper. They just dined with, 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 with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Things might look normal, but you need to see with spiritual eyes. Things might be challenging, ladies and gentlemen, with a lot that we're grappling with, but we need to see, look with our spiritual eyes because it's... <laughs> Everything that is happening left to the kingdom of darkness, the goal is to sift you and I in our faith. And then to drive the point, point home, last week we, uh, we started, I think it was last week, um, two weeks ago, we started um, the end of year appraisals for staff in, in the church office. I'm sure it's something that we all do in our various places of vocation, where at some point in the course of the year, usually towards the end of the year, you, you have an appraisal. And I was reading the, the notes of the appraisal, and then God started to speak to me. Because the notes of the appraisal says that a person is appraised, the whole purpose of an appraisal is to highlight areas of weakness so that one can apply themselves to growth and development and improvement. Does somebody understand that? But then Satan, Jesus is saying, has another agenda. His whole idea is not to appraise, it's to sift. What's the whole purpose of sifting? It's to steal, to kill, to destroy. And then God starts to say, we've got to look up and stand up. Otherwise, we can subtly fall to the wiles of Satan. You know, it reminds me of the story of Job uh, in the book of Job. You all know the story of Job in Job chapter 1. And uh, from verse 6, let me read in the New Living Translation, Job chapter 1 from verse 6. 
It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, remember the accuser, the adversary, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that is going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. Isn't it because you've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property? You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has, and he will surely cost you to your face. And then God says, verse 12, All right, you may test him. What, 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 what was Satan wanting to do? Satan was trying to say, you know, this walk that Job has with you, God, is fake. It's not real at all. And his relationship with you is very superficial. God says, okay, go and test him. Why was Satan wanting to test him? He didn't just want to test Job to get Job closer to God. He wanted to destroy the relationship between Job and God. When the Bible talks about sifting or testing our faith. He's talking about our relationship. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan doesn't want to destroy your car. He doesn't want to destroy your home. He wants to destroy our relationship with God, our life. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, be careful. Look with your eye, with your spiritual eyes and see what is going on. All these things that are happening around you, there's only one thing that Satan has in mind. And you know, I, I wrote here, you never really, you know, somebody might say, how could Peter do such a thing? How could he deny, deny Jesus? In fact, Peter himself said, never, Lord. If it was you and I, and I said to you as you're listening this morning, be careful because Satan might take you away from your faith. You say, never, God forbid, God forbid. But then guess what? Jesus says the methodology, how he does this is by sifting. You know, if, if, if Jesus, I'm sorry, if Satan came to you and said, and said, you deny God, would you deny God? Of course you wouldn't. But guess what he does? Can I have my sift, my sieve? He says he wants to sift you like I went to look for a sieve. Uh, even though, you know, this is, these are sophisticated sieves, you know, the English sieves. How I many you, you know, where I come from in Africa, our mothers had these big sieves. You, can you remember them? Yeah, you know, these big sieves. And then they'll pour, they'll pour grain on the, on, the, on, the, on the sieve. And then they'll start. You know what a sieve does? A sieve has serrated edges. And the idea is that 
as you are shaking things, as life is shaking you, as all those things are happening, the quarrel with your husband, the quarrel with your wife, waiting for a job, you know, trusting God for answered prayer, which, which is not coming. Guess what? The sieve is stripping the superficial layers from the real thing. And then sieving and sieving. So he's doing it gradually. And if you and I are not careful, you don't know that they're using life circumstances to sieve. And guess what? Satan's plan is to keep stripping and stripping and then blows you away. That will not be your portion in Jesus' name. Just be careful. All that is happening around you, understand what it is. Understand what the enemy is trying to do. To sift you like, like wheat. You know, to, to, demoralize, to demoralize you. To annoy you, to depress you. To bring doubt. And then guess what happens? You know, with sifting, a person starts to drift gradually, gradually. Until they're far from God. I, um, I was reading a story about a lady. Um, you know, I'd, I'd heard of her before, but the more I read about her, um, in the last two days, the more I, I was really touched by her story. How many of you have heard about Corrie Ten Boom, lady called Te Corrie Ten Boom? You know, she's a prolific writer. She's written loads of books. But um, it's interesting. She was born on the 15th of April, 19, sorry, 15th of April, 1892. She died on the 15th of April, 1983. So she died on the same day she was born, 91 years later. You know, people think, people have said that for her to be born and to die on the same day must mean that she was a special child of God. She was a very special child of God. She lived during the uh, World Wars, uh, the, the Second World War particularly, in, in Netherlands. And the story goes that, that uh, they used to hide, herself and her family, they used to hide the Jews uh, from the Nazis in those days, you know, hide them in the house, um, hide them from the, the Holocaust. And they did that for many years, in just being used by God to save people's lives. Until one day, um, some people went and snitched on them. So they came and raided their home and took all of them, took them to high concentration prison camps. And she was there for many years. She was there in a particular camp with her sister. Her sister died in front of her in the camp. The rest of our family lost, lost our lives. Lost their lives, I beg your pardon. And then she came out and she starts to write about her experience. And I love this quote that she, I love this quote that, that she wrote. She says, if you look at the world around you, you will be distressed. If you look within you, you will be depressed. If you look back at the past, you will be defeated. But if you look up at Christ, you'll be delivered and be at rest. She knew what she was talking about. Satan could easily have sifted her with life's experiences, all the things that she went through. But she knew to focus on the right thing. She knew to understand the wiles of the enemy. She knew that her faith, her relationship with God, was critical and she needed to hold on to that. The good news Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing we can do about the challenges of life. It's interesting. It's interesting that, that when, when Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, 
Satan, Satan is looking to sift you. He didn't say, I'm going to stop Satan. He didn't say, I'm going to prevent Satan. He says, I'm going to pray for you. What was he saying? You are going to go through those challenges. You're going to experience all, all the turmoil and the pressures of life. But guess what? I've got your back. He says, I have prayed for you. Isn't somebody glad that Jesus is praying for you? Go on, can somebody appreciate Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus? He says, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And, and you know, I, 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 the, the more I read the scripture, the more I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking God is so, so good to us. Because he says, Satan came to ask permission. You know what that tells me, ladies and gentlemen? My life is not in Satan's hands, it's in God's hands. There's nothing that Satan can do to you. There's nothing that happens to you that he doesn't first seek permission from God. But then, the gooder news, if any, if any such thing, is that everything that he means for evil, God will always turn to your good. That's the, 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 the beauty of our relationship with God. But we have a responsibility. He says, Simon, Simon, take care, watch out. Don't just go through the experiences and challenges and pressures of life uh, oblivious of the spiritual connotations. Because if we, do, if, if, we are, if we don't pay attention, then Satan can sift and destroy our relationship, our faith with God. And so today, I wanted to challenge us in the way that God has been challenging me. God, sorry, Satan might sift or look to sift, but God wants us to appraise. They're two totally different things. Satan wants to sift because he wants to still kill and destroy. God wants us to appraise so that we can see, we can, we, we can identify the areas that we're failing or weak in and then develop those areas and we become stronger as a result. That's what happens uh, when we appraise ourselves, look at the way Paul puts it in the book of, of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It says from verse 2 Corinthians, I beg your pardon, yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and I think it's verse 5. five, five. It says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. You examine yourself. You know, the beauty about an appraisal is that you, the appraisee, you appraise yourself first, and then your supervisor comes and then speaks over your appraisal, tells you their own viewpoint. But you appraise yourself first. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Don't wait for Satan to come and test you. You test yourself. And then I love the way the psalmist David helps us to put it in context in Psalm Psalm 139, Psalm 139, again reading the New Living Translation, it says, verses 1 to 3, first of all, Psalm 139, yes. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know everything. God knows everything that we do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. And then he ends in verse 20, verses 23 to 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know what the psalmist was saying? You know, that there's a scripture that says, he who thinks he stands, he better beware lest he falls. You and I might be sitting and you're thinking, you know, I cannot imagine. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, Peter had spent three and a half years with Jesus. Can you ever imagine him denying Jesus? In the same way that you're sitting here and you're thinking, nah, 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 nah my faith is rock solid. And <laughs> but the, Jesus knows what he was, he knew what he was talking about. In the same way that he challenges you and I this afternoon. And what is the challenge? The challenge is to examine our faith. Appraise your faith. Let God supervise the appraisal of your faith. Let God, allow God to shine the light on your faith, your relationship with him, so that he can point out to you, you know, you need to do some work here and there. Lest the enemy, in the way that he does very well, subtly, deftly, using the circumstances of life that you and I take for granted, sift you or, or me and our relationship with God. The five components of our faith I want to go through very quickly. Because when we talk about faith, he's really talking about our relationship with God. The Bible says that in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. And, and, and that, that those who come to God, it's because you first believe you have a relationship with God. And there are five components of our faith, our relationship with God. The first component, and remember, we are examining ourselves. We are praising ourselves. We are asking God to search and, and, and search our lives. The first component of our faith walk with God is the fear of God. And the question is, do you fear God? Now, like Peter, if I ask the question, do you fear God? Everybody will say, yes, yes, I fear God. Until we look a bit deeper. Deuteronomy. Deuteron okay, say it for me, please. Yes, that one. Um, chapter 10, verse 12. 10, verse 12. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And now, Jesus' house, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him. The fear of God is to it's the extent to which we respect and regard God. The extent to which we acknowledge God as sovereign over our lives. But it goes deeper than that. Because I was reading someplace and it says, you know, many times when we say the fear of God, we're, we're thinking it in intellectually. But it's actually practical. It says it's a way of living that is conscious of God's authority and our accountability to him. You know what that means? Everything that you say and that you, that you do, do you do out of the fear of God? Are you conscious of that God is listening, God is watching? Are you conscious of the fact that I'm accountable to God in everything that I do? That's the fear of God. 
The fear of God is a sensitivity to the pleasure and the displeasure of God. Oh, no, no, I can't do this because it will be displeasing to God. Look, look at what Joseph said, said in, in Genesis 39. He says, he says, says to Potiphar, I, ca I can't do it. As good as it might look, as pleasurable as it might seem, I can't do it because it will be a sin against God. That's the fear of God. It's a sensitivity to God. And you know, we might think that we fear God, but then Satan is testing and sifting using life circumstances. You know, we go through stuff, and then after a while, we start to, to, to murmur and complain and, 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 and all of that. Yeah, let, let me read this to you, ladies and gentlemen. You know, Job that we talked about, in Job chapter 1, when all the calamity started to happen, uh, his, his, his business collapsed, his house was burnt, and then worse still, all his children were, were killed. And then the Bible says in Job chapter 1, verse 20, Job chapter 1, 20, it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord, verse 22. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Why? Because of the fear of God that controlled his life. Look at the converse. His wife, <laughs> his wife saw all that was happening. The bank, the bank, the bank is shutting down all your bank accounts. You can't pay the children's school fees. You've been out of a job. You know, the pressures of life, all these things that we've talked about. Guess what? She says, she says, I'm, I'm looking for it. Where, where is it? Uh, da, 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 Job, Job 2, 8 to 9, yes. It says, uh, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. She had been sifted. They'd used the circumstances of life to push her away from God because she didn't retain the fear of God. Where are you, my brother, my sister? How would you appraise yourself concerning the fear of God, the sensitivity to God's pleasure and displeasure. Number two, we're praising ourselves. So the first thing is our fear of God. The second thing is our trust in God. And again, as soon as you hear the word trust, you're thinking, no, 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 I trust God. And Satan cannot even get me there. I, I trust God. But do we really, really, really trust God? Do we really? The word trust means to place confidence in or depend on, to commit something into one's care or keeping, to commit something you know, into someone's care or keeping. I trust you to look after that for me. I trust you to, 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 to care for this. It says it is to rely on the truthfulness or the accuracy of someone or something, to rely on the truthfulness or the accuracy of someone or something, to rely on, to rely on the truthfulness and the accuracy of someone or something. I said to them in the first service, um, you know, I, I always ask this question when, you know, our men's mentoring scheme, when we um, have our meetings, I ask the question, um, incidentally, how many people are married? How many people are married? Okay. Um, 
How many men that are married drive? Men that are married drive. Okay, um, quite a few hands. So, so does this happen to you when you're driving and your wife is next to you and before you get to the roundabout, she says, take left. Um, put on the indicator. Does, does that happen to you at all? Does, no, no, I'm, I'm wondering, does it happen to you? Because it's been happening to me for 27 years. <laughs> my, wife, my wife is watching online, sorry. <laughs> I love you. Um, yeah, anyway, um, so, so for, you know, it, it, it's been a constant battle. You know, you, we, we're, we're driving and, um, you know, we, we're about to get to the roundabout, and then she uses her hand to put on the, the indicator. I'm thinking, I, I was going to do it, why would And then she said, but I was just trying to help you. I'm thinking, it's been like that for 27 years, but guess what? The one that is worse than that is the sat-nav. How many people use the sat-nav when you, you drive? Okay. How accurate is the sat-nav? How accurate is the sat-nav? So let me tell you what happens. So we're going somewhere, and then you key in the, the, the details, and then the sat-nav starts to lead you. And then I'm asking her, um, can I see where the sat-nav is, is, is showing us? And then she says, no, 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 just f face your front. <laughs> just, just look and drive carefully and listen to what they're saying. So I'm saying, no, no, I need to see what, I need to see what it's showing. I need, and then, you know, we'll be driving, and then um, maybe there'll be some traffic, and I'm thinking, hmm, there's some traffic here, um, and then um, maybe I should turn here, because I know the, the, the area. Guess what also, always happens? I turn, and then we hit worse traffic. Is the sat-nav accurate or not? Is the sat-nav accurate or not? You know why? No, if somebody says it's not accurate, it's because you do what I do. <laughs> you lean on your own wisdom. You know what the satnav does? The satnav calculates your destination. It sees where you are going from where you're coming and then plots the best way to get there. Ladies and gentlemen, God sees the end from the beginning. He knows all the challenges that we're going to go through in life. So he tells you when to turn left and when to turn right. The question is, do you trust the accuracy of your satna, of your God? The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. <laughs> it says, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Is that our life story, ladies and gentlemen? How do you appraise your trust in God? But even as importantly, the psalmist says in Psalm 9, verse 10, and it's important to look at this, Psalm 9, verse 10, he says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Very instructive, ladies and gentlemen. Where are you in your trust, trust walk with God? But can I answer that question for you and say that where your trust will be dependent on how well you know God. 
It's the extent to which you know God that you will trust God, have confidence in Him, and rely on Him. How do you appraise your trust in God? Because if we don't, Satan can undermine this faith walk with God. I, 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 uh, I, I was saying in, in the morning service, time doesn't permit, but please go and read the story of uh, King Asa, one of the kings of Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 14 to chapter 16. Very interesting. The Bible says he became king of Judah, chapter 14. And he talks about how Asa trusted God. He did things that pleased God. He destroyed the Asherah poles, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the altars of Baal and all. He did all of that. You know, he did what was pleasing to God. Fantastic. He feared God. And then in chapter 15, the Bible says that the Ethiopians came to war against Judah. Judah had 550,000 troops. Ethiopia had 1 million troops. They were outnumbered. So Asa goes to God and cries out to God and says, Lord, help me. He says, he says, we are few compared to them, but in you we put our trust. Guess what? God came, came to their rescue, defeated the army, and they came back rejoicing in the God they trusted. Ladies and gentlemen, chapter 16, just one chapter afterwards, a few years afterwards, remember, remember, it's gradual. A few years after, another king, the king of Israel, comes to war against Asa. This time, guess what Asa did? He goes to the treasury of God, takes all the gold and the silver, and then goes to hire the army of, of, of Syria to come and help him defeat the king of Israel. And God was not pleased at all. So God sends a prophet to him and says, I paraphrase, what the heck is wrong with you? Can you not remember I was the one that delivered you from the Ethiopians just yesterday? Why would you go and put your trust in something else, someone else? And then he makes this statement, I paraphrase. He says, for God is searching through the earth, looking for those who would put their trust in him. Where is your trust in God. How do you appraise yourself? Number three, very quickly. So the first thing is the fear of God, the sensitivity to the pleasure and displeasure of God. If we don't examine these things, Satan can easily undermine them. The second thing is our confidence in God that allows us to follow God, that allows us to, 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 to put our trust in whatever it is God says to do. The third thing is our love for God. And at this point, everybody saying, nah, I'm score, I scored 10 over 10. How many people say they scored 10 over 10 in their love for God? How many? How many? I can see one or two hands at the back. It's not true. It's not true. How deep is your love? First of all, before you appraise yourself, you need to understand the extent of God's love for you. And God says, let me read this to you. Deuteronomy, so no, I beg your pardon. Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, I think it is. Exodus 20, I think. Yes, Exodus 20. Let me read this to you. Hallelujah. Exodus 20, let me read from verse 4. 
You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. And then I love the way he says it in Exodus 34, verse 14. He says, I'm a God who is jealous, who is passionate about my relationship with you. God loves you and I passionately. So passionately that he went and died on the cross for you and I. Something that is mind-boggling that you and I still struggle to comprehend. That's the extent of God's love. The extent to which he's passionate about his love for us. The question is, how passionate are you about God? How deep, how passionate is your love for God? When I, uh, when I, uh, I think it was, I just finished uni, and um, I started working in the city of Lagos then. I'll never forget, I, I was going out with uh, a lady then, and um, very interesting relationship. Anyway, going out, I'm a young, young man, going out. And um, she had said to me, she was going out with somebody before then, and they broke up, and then we now started to go out. And then about a few months into the relationship, I'll never forget, you know, you never forget these things. I remember it was a Friday. This is, this is like, how many years ago? This is like 30-something years ago. And it was a Friday, I'll never forget. We you know, it, it was the time of summer holidays, and we'd planned summer holidays, how we're going to hang out and do this and all that. And then I'll never forget, Friday, Friday afternoon, she calls me. It was in the afternoon, I still remember. And then she calls me and says, oh, I'm sorry to break this news to you, um, but um, I've, I've decided to break up our relationship because I'm going back to uh, the, the other guy. Do you know I was sick for three days? <laughs> I know you're laughing at yourselves. You know, okay. I, 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 I lay in bed for three days. I could not move. I did not eat. I, it wasn't a spiritual fast. I did not eat. I was sick. But guess what? I was sick not because somebody had just broken up with me. It was the thought that she was leaving me for another person. That's how God feels about you and I. But is that the same way that you feel about God? Is God first in everything? Abraham prays to God 25 years waiting for a child, 25 years. And then God finally gives him this child. And the child is growing up, running around, happy. And then all of a sudden, God says to Abraham, oh, by the way, this child, listen, he says, this child, the child you love so much, he says, go and sacrifice him. And you know the story. So Abraham takes him. I don't know how much turmoil was going on in his heart, in his heart but he takes the boy, and he was going to sacrifice the boy. So I read a commentary that says, do you know that God was not interested in, in, in Isaac's death? I hope you know that. God was not interested in, in killing Isaac. All he wanted to know was whether Abraham loved God more than that boy. How deep 
is your love. The fourth thing, because I have to end. The first is, how, where is your faith, I'm sorry, your fear of God? Your sensitivity to the things of God, the pleasure and the displeasure of God. Where's your trust in God? How much do you love God? And please, ladies and gentlemen, don't say to me that I really, really love God. I really, really trust God. Let God examine the extent to which it's true. Otherwise, Satan will test it to your detriment. The fourth thing is our obedience to God. Do you know, as I read Scripture... I realize from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, if there's one thing that God says repeatedly to people and speaks to you and I, is obedience. Because everything we've talked about, the fear of God, the trust of God, the love of God, they are manifested through our obedience in our faith walk with God. Deuteronomy, did I say it right? Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let me read chapter 5 again to you from verse 20, 28. The Lord heard the request you made to me, and he said, I've heard what the people said to you, and they are right. Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all my commandments. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Go and tell them, return to your tents, but you stand here with me so I can give you all my commands, decrees, and regulations. You must teach them to the people so they can obey them in the land I'm giving them as their possession. Verse 32. So Moses told the people, you must, you must be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God, following his instructions in every detail. Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you're about to enter and occupy. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? I call this bit the missing link. Why I call it the missing link is that there are many things that we do in our faith walk. We pray, we fast, we read the Bible, we fear God, we shun evil, we trust God, where most of us fall down is in the area of obedience. I was preparing the message yesterday, and then God started to appraise me, started to appraise me. And, you know, he said, you know, nah, 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 nah. In this area, you haven't done very well at all. And he used the scripture to, to chastise me. In Matthew 21, in Matthew 21, uh, he used the, he brought me to this parable. Matthew 21, verse 28. He says, but... What do you think about this? This is Jesus uh, speaking a parable to the people around him. He says, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and walk in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go and you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will, but he didn't go. Verse 31, Jesus says, which of the two obeyed his father? Is it the one that said, I won't go, but later changed his mind and went? Or the one that said, I will go, but didn't go? He says, of course, it is the first one that obeyed. 
And God was saying to me, there's so many things that God has spoken to me, the many things that he has spoken to you, that you said you would do, and I said I would do, but I haven't done. Where is your faith? Because obedience is part of our faith work. And remember, if we're not careful, the enemy will use these things to undermine our work with, with God. John, and this is the, the bit that I, I, I find quite challenging. John chapter 14 I think it is John chapter 14, uh, verse 15. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If we love God, all the things we talked about before, we would obey his commandments. But listen to what he says in John 15. In John 15, verse 9, it says, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. He's speaking to you and I. He says, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Then verse 12, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Ladies and gentlemen, the crux of our obedience to God is demonstrated in our relationship with one another. So people say, I, I love God, I trust God, I fear God, and I obey God. No, 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 no. How are you in your relationship with one another? Because true obedience, ladies and gentlemen, is demonstrated in our relationship with him. He says, I have loved you. I've shown you. Now you do the same with one another. And that's where the problem lies, ladies and gentlemen. If there's one area please listen to me. If there's one area that Satan is using very effectively to sift the people of God, it's in the area of our relationships with one another. And why? Just because we would not obey. She's obnoxious. He talks too much. He gets angry. And all the things that are, 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 are legitimate, but guess what? Are you going to obey God or obey yourself? I said to them in the first service, <laughs> you know, Satan can come and sift you directly, but more times, guess what? He uses each, each one of us to sift the other. Uses husband to sift wife, wife to sift uh, husband, friend to sift friend. Just because we, can't, we don't pay attention to the wiles of the enemy. Look at the way Paul puts it as I start to round up. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. From verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. That's the key, ladies and gentlemen. 
Satan wants to steal, to kill, to destroy. But guess what? He's using each one against the other. So we've become, we've become tools in the hands of Satan to sift your faith and my faith. Corey Ten Boom said, um, the first step to victory in life is to recognize your enemy. So I say to couples that are quarreling and having issues, I said, your husband is not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Let's understand spiritual things. Let's pay attention to, to the right things. Let's do what is pleasing to God. And I could go on and on. Number five, let me end. So the first, we're examining ourselves in the area of our fear of God. We're examining ourselves in the area of our trust in God. We're examining ourselves in the area of our love for God. We're examining ourselves in the area of our obedience to God. And then the last is we examine ourselves in the area of our service to God. It's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. You know, to, to, to serve God is to allow God to use you for the benefit of humanity. It's to give yourself, give ourselves completely to God for God to use us. That, 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 that's what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12. To give ourselves as a living sacrifice so that God uses us. You know, I, I just felt as I was speaking, Richard, God bless you. God bless you for giving yourself to God. To, to, to build a monument for God. But ladies and gentlemen, we serve God by serving humanity. We serve God by allowing him to use the gifts that he's put in us to benefit mankind rather than serving our own selfish interests. How do you appraise yourself in your service of God? I'd like to end, ladies and gentlemen. I know you're all quiet, as I've been quiet in the last few days as God appraised me. But there's always good news in our walk with God. Can someone say amen to that? There's always good news. You know, Jesus says, Jesus says, says even though this is Satan's intent, I've got your back. I've prayed for you. Isn't somebody glad that Jesus is praying for them? You know what that means? No matter what the enemy throws at you, he might mean it for evil, but God will always turn it around for your good. And I want to end with this scripture, which is really the crux for me. Next week, Pastor Agu is going to talk about how we cope with the pressures of life. But can I start just a little bit and say to us, as we examine ourselves, what we should do is also keep our focus on Jesus. He says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, it's always about our faith, our relationship with God. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its, its shame. What is he saying? Jesus went through the same pressures. Jesus had the same challenges. Remember, Satan tried to sift Jesus many times. I hope you know that. 
He tried to undermine Jesus' work and relationship with God. He tried to get Jesus to compromise. He tried many things, a lot of the things that we're going through. But the Bible says that Jesus, because of what he knew was ahead of him, kept his focus. Ladies and gentlemen, what is he asking of us? We examine ourselves, but we keep our focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Can I pray for you, ladies and gentlemen, that in this faith walk you will not fail? Amen. You know, the, the, the beauty of God is that even when we stumble, even when we fail, God is always quick to come and lift us up. He says to Peter, even when you have failed, when you are restored, strengthen your brothers. God will restore you, my brother and my sister. I don't know where you are. I don't know what challenges you're going through. I don't know what the pressures of life are driving you into. But can I assure you, God will restore you in the mighty name of Jesus. And you know, when God restores, it is always far better than where you were before. Can I speak over someone's life? Your future will be better than your past. How do I know that? The same Job that was tested in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and went through all those pressures. But remember, he kept his faith. He didn't deny God. He trusted God. He held on to God. The Bible says in chapter 42, the end of the story, that he was restored and God blessed him twice as much as before. May that be your testimony, my brother and my sister. Let's bow our heads. I want to pray for you. And there are three prayers. The first prayer, can, let's bow our heads. The first prayer is for those who haven't started a walk with God. Can I plead with you, like Paul says? He says, we plead with you, come back to God. Life without God is meaningless, believe me, ladies and gentlemen. To try to live life without God means that we're at the, 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 the mercy of Satan. Because... He looks around for those he will sift to still kill and destroy. And so my first prayer is for anyone here who is saying, you know what, I've been trying to carry the weight of life myself. I've been trying to live life without God. But I've heard the word of God. And today, I want to come into a relationship with God. If that is you, I want to pray for you. With all heads bowed, if there's anybody that's saying, you know what, I, I, I want to turn to God. I want to return to God. If you put up your hands so that I know that I'm praying for you. Any, anybody, even if I don't see your hands, the ushers will see your hands. If you're listening online, watching online. And, and you want to make that commitment. Just, just, just open your heart to God. Come back to God and walk this walk, this journey of life with God. And then the second prayer, I don't know where you are, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what life has thrown at you. The wounds of life, the pressures of life. But the God that we serve is a God of healing and restoration. And I want to pray for you this afternoon that whatever life has thrown at you, God will bring a healing into your life. And God will restore you to wherever you're supposed to be. I pray particularly for those who might have drifted from God, drifted from their communion, that their devotion to God. God will restore you. And then lastly, my third prayer, I'd like you to please hold hands. Please hold hands. With your heads bowed, please hold hands with somebody. Please hold hands with somebody. 
You know, the beauty, still in that same attitude of prayer, we're praying. The beauty of the Christian walk, my brother and sister, is that you do not walk alone. The beauty of Christianity is that my faith walk, I walk alongside my brother and my sister. That's why Jesus says to Peter, when you are restored, go and strengthen your brother and strengthen your sister. Can you pray for the person that you're holding their hand? You don't know where they are, but can you ask that God will strengthen them? Go on, let's start to pray for each other. Pray for each other. You don't know what they're going through, what life has thrown at them, but can you strengthen somebody this afternoon, my brother? Can you strengthen somebody, my sister? Go on from the bottom of our hearts. Can you ask the strength of God, the strength to walk faithful to God? Jesus says, I've prayed for you that you will remain faithful to me. Oh God, strengthen my sister, strengthen my brother. I don't know what they're going through, but you, you, oh God, you, oh God, are the author, the finisher of our faith. Strengthen my brother, oh God. Strengthen my sister, oh God. They will not fall. They will not fail. They will not be victims of Satan's world. You are my strength. Someone in here, somebody listening online, someone watching, God is your strength. As you sing, man. this moment the Holy Spirit is beginning to pour out his strength into your spirit man yes somebody might be watching on their own you're far away from somebody's hand but God is taking your hand right now whatsoever you are going through God says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. The strength of God is beginning to flood your spirit. And as you pray, the strength of the Almighty. Somebody's season is turning. God is on your side. For your brother or your sister. It does not matter what you are going through. God said, I'll give you strength. Christ will dwell in your heart by faith. You will understand the salvation he's made possible. God will fill you with himself. And then he will do exceedingly, abundantly, above whatsoever you are asking or thinking. God is coming alongside you right now. Today marks a turning point. God is comfortable with dealing with what you're dealing with. He is God. Strength comes. 
Somebody is receiving the strength to be healed. Somebody is receiving the strength to conceive. Somebody is receiving the strength to prosper. Somebody is receiving the strength just to go on. God is on your side right now. Someone, this is a Sunday morning you will never forget. Somebody on the other side of the world, God is taking your hand right now. Let strength rise. You will win in the end. He will lift you up. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to, let your hands rise. God is on your side. God is giving you strength to finish what he has asked you to start. Hey, this is somebody's moment. Hope rises one more time with everything you've got. He is your strength. Somebody's moment. This is God stepping into your seat. Hey, He's gone. He's hunting you down. God is on your side. Yes, Father. There's nothing we can't tell. We worship you, Father. Father Almighty God there's someone strength means the difference between life and death the strength to continue when all the clouds say you won't make it hear me he that is called God has filled your praise and he will make happen what you are afraid to dream of. God has come to your aid this morning. Strength you will not understand, but strength that will carry you through. God is being kind to someone now. If you believe that, ladies and gentlemen, celebrate the Lord with a clap offering. Let God know that he's done it. Tell you. Tell you. God is on your side. Seven.